You're listening to Solar Insiders, a fortnightly update on the ins and outs of the solar industry and what it means for consumers. With Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading solar industry veteran Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Solar Analytics, suppliers of intelligent solar monitoring. Hello and welcome to the very first um, podcast of Solar Insiders, a new podcast from Renew Economy that focuses on the solar industry. Our partner in crime in this is going to be Nigel Morris. Nigel, um, how are you? Oh, I'm well, thanks, Giles. Uh, how are you? Very good. Look, looking forward to these discussions. Now, the, uh, the idea for this has come about because... Um, we thought there's a lot of interest in the solar industry. There's 1.7 million households um, now, and a lot of questions about it. And um, it's been a very successful industry. And I guess the topic that we're going to get onto today is that um, not everything about it is successful. So we're going to sort of peel back a few of the the warts and all things about it. Ooh, my favourite topic, Giles. <laughs> Nigel, I just want to. Um, so you're now working with Sonar Analytics, which is a uh, provides monitoring software and is now partly owned by AGL. But you've been at the in the solar industry pretty much from not right at the start, but pretty close to the start, more than 25 years. Plenty of time for grey hairs, that's for sure, Giles. Uh, uh, it's uh, you know the solar coaster is is exciting. I, I I said to someone yesterday, I've got the best job in the world being in this industry. I love it. How many solar coasters do you reckon you've been on? <laughs> well, how many times have you gone up and how many times have you gone down? I've gone round and round a lot of times, that's for sure. Yeah, look, where do you think we're on now? It seems like we're on, a, we're, we're on an incline. I don't know how steep that incline is, but it looks reasonably promising. Yeah, look, I think the industry is in a really interesting place this year, although I've probably said that every year for the last 25 years, but <laughs> it, it really, it's, um, it's kind of got its own head of steam now and, and, you know, we're starting to see the rebates drop away. We're starting to see a little bit more stability, although that's changed this year, which I'm sure we'll come to. But, yeah, it's, um, it's, um, it's just inevitable. Solar's just inevitable. Look, we've got 1.7 million households or thereabouts, or is it 1.6 million with rooftop solar? And clearly, by the statistics, um, a lot more joining each month, and that's pretty exciting. Solar has pretty much been a success story, but it's not without its pitfalls, and that's what we want to talk about today. And the subject of the day is, um, is solar crap, or is there crap solar? Nigel, what is crap solar, and why do we have it? (laughs) That's a really good question. Uh... I guess the interesting thing about the way Australia's solar industry has evolved is we have the largest residential market in the world, which is which is great. It's a massive success story to get lots of small systems on millions and millions of homes and distribute it all around where the demand is. So in, in that sense, it's an unintended, very positive consequence of government policy. Unheard of, I know, but um, it, really, really good thing. However, the flip side of that, which is where the crap part of it comes from is that it has created the most competitive cutthroat uh, um, and, and vicious consumer market for residential solar in the world, in fact. There's no one who does as many systems per year as we do. And so that's created this furious competitive environment. And of course, in any uh, vigorous competitive environment, you get a vast range of quality, both in products and services. That's and, where the crap comes in. And so presumably what you're saying is that there's a bunch of cowboys out there and, um, and consumers should be careful. Yeah, there is. And, you know, we've seen some 
fascinating, mind-boggling stories over the years. Uh, good Lord, Pastor Steve was the one who caught my attention for a while, a guy who masqueraded in Queensland as a pastor and then something else and then something else and then jumped into solar and fleeced thousands of customers for deposits for solar systems and then vanished off the face of the earth, eventually dragged to court and fined and jailed. Um, but we have uh, continued to have... Um, a series of companies who come into the market and really aren't worried about providing a good long-term product solution, aren't really worried about delivering great long-term value and really just want to make some money and run and are quite happy to leave crap on people's roofs. Well, that's pretty sad. Look, I guess it's like any industry and you probably think of the car industry and car salesmen and sort of, you know, real estate agents and insurance and things like that. So it does happen in any industry. Um, so what's the, what, what is the industry doing about it? What can it do about it? Um, let's maybe talk about, first of all, this page, this Facebook page, Crap Solar. Um, <laughs> now, my understanding is that this is a Facebook page that's actually set up by installers who are horrified at some of the things they see around the place. That's exactly right. It, it was actually set up by an installer I know really well uh, who's been in the industry for many, many years and he's one of those other people who've witnessed, in fact, he's a solar veteran like me, more than 25 years. He's witnessed this, this change from solar being very much a boutique you know, niche market to being a mass market and, and he's watched the implications of that. And so along with, gee, I think now there's more than 3,000 members of the page, he wanted a place, like so many other installers, to share their stories about what they were finding out there and, and importantly, you know, what we can do about that. So it's a, it's, um, it's a great place to see examples of how things can go wrong, of mm. what people are doing wrong, of, um, uh, of, of some of the things that w these guys are finding out there and often being asked to come and fix. Um, I do want to highlight that I still think that crap solar is the minority of the market. I don't really think we're swamped and overwhelmed with you know, the vast majority of what's going out there being really, really poor. There's way too much of it, that's for sure. But I wouldn't like anyone to go on crap solar and think that's representative of the entire market. We have some fabulous people out there, like the guys on there, batting very hard to improve standards. I think I saw some statistic out there somewhere which suggested something like about 20% of systems are underperforming, quote unquote. Now, I'm not too sure whether that means it was sort of crap solar or something has gone wrong and no one's noticed. Um, what does that statistic tell us, apart from the fact that Australian households tend to have an eye for a bargain? And if I just continue on for a little bit longer, one of the things that was suggested to me once a while ago was that in Europe, people tend to live and own houses for a lot longer. They might be there for 10, 15 or 20 years. So when they put something on the roof, they make sure that it's a really, really, really good quality. In Australia, we turn over household stock quite a bit more often. So someone suggested to me that there was more of a tendency to put stuff, you know, well, let's get the cheapest that we can find. Is that statement true? And maybe go back to that little 20% number that I quoted you. Mm, yeah, no, I think you're right on the money, Giles, and, and you're exactly right. The last time I checked uh, 12 months or so ago, uh, the average household ownership had gone down again. It, 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 it's continued to decline to about six years, and while there's so much money to be made in real estate, people do tend to flip their homes more often, and, and you're exactly right. I've spoken to customers who've said, look, mate, you know, I want to a good piece of gear. I don't want any dramas with it, but, you know, realistically, I'm only going to be in the house for four or five years, probably, and so, you know, I need something that's going to pay for itself in less than that. And uh, rightly or wrongly, the way the market has, has configured itself, we've 
convince customers that you can get a great solution that'll pay for itself in three, four, five years. Uh, in some cases you can, in many cases you actually can't, um, but the market's been sort of tricked into that. On the failure statistic, that's a really interesting one. Um, there are two key statistics in the market to watch. One is the uh, annual reports that the clean energy regulator puts out about its audit program. So when you get a rebate for a solar system, you are eligible for small-scale technology certificates and a small proportion of those installations are randomly ordered, audited on behalf of the clean energy regulator every year. Typically, the numbers over the last few years have been showing a steady improvement in the um, compliance of those systems. They're not necessarily looking at quality, they're not looking at the energy output of those systems, they're not looking at the functions or the features of those systems or whether they're dumb or smart. All they're looking at is are they safe and are they compliant and in the vast majority of cases, and I think that's where your 20% comes from, I think overall they, I think the number is around 20% of non-compliances. However, the vast majority of those are very minor. They're things like labels and you know, mm. minor inconsistencies. There had been a big spike in DC isolators, which are the bane of our industries and the most common point of failure all around the world. Um, yeah, we, we, we'll have to have a whole topic on DC isolators one we, day, we I will. think, because, um, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, we'll have to come back to that. So there's certainly evidence that the installation and compliance quality around solar systems has been steadily improving, so that's really, really good. Still mm -hmm. too many failures, but still, still mm. some problems. The underperformance is a completely different thing, and that's missed entirely by the Clean Energy Regulator and the STC program, and indeed every, any other program in Australia. That statistic is actually 51%. So there was a study done by Osgrid a few years ago that showed in a study they did that 51% of solar systems were actually underperforming. So they weren't producing as much energy as you would expect them to produce. And that's a completely different issue. That's about the quality of the components, the performance of the system, a whole bunch of other systems. And that's part of the crap solar story, but is quite different from the compliance. Well, that sounds like another episode to do as well, and um, probably focusing a little bit on what your business does, Solar Analytics, which actually monitors the output and actually identifies those sort of underperformance. But look, let's get back together. Look, just talking about sort of compliance issues, we did see this week the Clean Energy Regulator come out and ping PNN, which trades as Eurosolar in New South Wales, saying that some of its systems were non-compliant. Now, my understanding was that it might have got caught out by selling panels which were no longer on the approved list. What's your understanding and what does it mean? Mm, sure. So it's great to see um, the Clean Energy Regulator continuing to issue um, uh, these enforceable undertakings. They've been doing it for some time and that's a great sign. It's not easy for them to prosecute, but what they can do is enforce these or put in place these enforceable undertakings. And essentially what it's saying is, look, your standards, your uh, solar panels or inverters aren't on the approved list, so therefore you, that installation is not eligible for small-scale technology certificates, so it's then up to the company uh, to either repair, replace or rectify that or indeed surrender the STCs. Um, we've had a spate of these coming and going over the years. We've seen some great examples. The best example was uh, a broker who, who got inadvertently caught up in this and volunteered, in fact mortgaged her house, would you believe, to personally pay for a large part of the replacement cost. So we've seen some great examples of people doing 
uh, way above and beyond what they should. And then we see other instances of repeat offenders who keep showing up on this list. Mm. Let's go into what the consumers can do to protect themselves. Now, one of the things they might hear about is the quality of the solar panels. Now, there's things called Tier 1 and Tier 2 and Tier 3. What do they mean and what does it mean for the consumer? Mm. Tier 1 sounds like it's the top of the range and very, very good. Is that necessarily the case? No, um, I actually think from a consumer's point of view, I might be going out of limb here, but I don't think Tier 1, 2 or 3 have any plausible value at all in Australia anymore. Okay. I think it is utterly misleading. I think it is completely irrelevant. It's bandied around by everybody. And so I would urge consumers to completely ignore Tier 1, 2 or 3. In theory, you're right, Tier 1 should be, and there are a set of guidelines that I won't go into, but there are a set of guidelines around what theoretically makes you a top tier manufacturer. Um, it, it is a bit of a minefield. But in, in essence, the general rules apply, notwithstanding cheats and cheats and liars and thieves, the general rule, like any product you buy, applies, and that is you generally get what you pay for. If you rush into a purchase, you're probably going to make a mistake. And if you don't do some research on who is supplying you and don't use your intuition around, is this company good? Do I feel like they're telling me the truth? Do I feel like I'm being pressured? All those types of normal consumer things apply equally and in spades in the solar market. So. So, I so think that, 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 sort of, that sort of caution then applies to solar panels as it would the inverter because the inverter is the, um, the one that's actually talking, having the conversation between the solar panel and the grid and your appliances. So that's pretty critical as well, isn't it? It's a very critical component of the system. And in fact, uh, they're, they're often uh, a failure point, especially historically. When you look back at failures around the industry, it's often been inverters. We have a tough network, so the voltage requirements and spikes and you know various other factors temperature in particular, all are very, very hard on inverters. And it's like any electronic appliance, right? You can go into any retailer and you can buy a, you know, you can buy a TV for 200 bucks or you can buy the same size TV for 3,000 bucks. And there is genuinely a difference in quality between those products as a general rule. So um, uh, I think ultimately buying a solar system is about two things. Number one, the thing that motivates most people is I want to save money, okay? That's what I'm trying to do is insulate myself from these rising electricity bills. So you want something that's going to generate electricity and save you money. The second component that kind of gets pushed into the background, sadly, is that you actually want that to be done reliably and simply and for as long as it possibly can without falling apart over time. And so that's where the subtleties come in. So what you're really buying is a longer-term solution. You want something that's got longevity. You want someone who's going to support you. You want some uh, products that are going to be adequate. And then, of course, as a consumer, you get a choice. You can buy at the bottom end or, or down towards the bottom end if you don't have a huge budget. Or you can buy right up at the top end and, and, and buy something super flash with all the whistles and bells. That's good. Consumers have got choice, but you, you do tend to get what you pay for. So what, what's the difference then? If you're buying at the bottom end and the difference from that to the top end, I mean, I presume it's something like about, it's about reliability. Are the panels going to last longer? Are they going to actually produce as much as the um, more expensive panels? Mm, mm. Um, is, is that it? And what else? And 
Yeah. Yeah, there are two, there are two elements that, that, that I've learned, and I worked for, for a manufacturer of solar modules for 12 years, so I had some first-hand experience with this. Essentially, the difference between a great solar panel and a cheap solar panel is the materials used in the construction. That's, that's one of the main things. So, for example, the plastic on the back, that is a critical element. That's got to last 25 years or more in, on the blazing sun, hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold for 25 years. Now, you can save quite a bit of money by going to a cheap plastic, and then there are multiple layers in between that back plastic and, and the other uh, components inside around the cells. And you can, you can take a, a few cents off here and a few cents off there, and you'll got, get the cost of the solar panel down. It'll look exactly the same when you take it out of the box. But I've personally seen solar panels only one or two years old that are yellowing and cracking and splitting open and, you know, uh, obviously going to fail much, much more quickly. And that same kind of uh, menu, if you like, of, of materials, the raw materials that go into make up a solar panel, that is the fundamental difference between a good one and a bad one. Then there are a whole bunch of other cheap and nasty things that you can do. You can slim down the amount of material in the frame so it, it, it doesn't cost as much to make. You can use, and, and we've seen this in Australia too, you can use B or C grade cells. So, so the solar cells which are chipped or blemished or not aligned properly. Um, so does, is some of this stuff is actually, does that get approved by the regulators or the regulatory authorities? I mean, is it just sort of, you know, that's okay, that's like a, you know, in the same way you might get a cheap car, obviously you just don't get, you know, the, the bells and whistles you do with a, you know, with a BMW or a Mercedes or something. Yeah, it's, um, a it's a little more complex because it's such a commodity item these days, a solar panel, and, and the vast majority are imported into Australia. And the way the approvals process means if you've got a, you know, the Giles Parkinson Solar 2000 solar panel, and you send I recommend it in, that brand. <laughs> yes, it sounds like an excellent <laughs> brand. Um, if you um, submit that to the certifying body, they put it through a whole bunch of rigorous tests, and they say, yep, you're approved, you meet all the, all the international standards. And you say, great, thank you very much, and you go back to your factory, and then you decide, well, I might just substitute this product or that product now and keep making them under the Giles Parkinson 2000 brand. Who's going to know the difference? No mm. one knows the difference unless your factory is re-audited and they do spot random audits for the uh, to ensure that you're sticking to the right menu, right? Now, some of the international standards and qualifications, and this is increasingly being pushed down into Australia, including what the Clean Energy Council offers and what the Australian Solar Council offers through its Positive Quality Program. Both of those programs are designed to build in that random auditing to keep those factories honest. So, mm -hmm. so generally, when you see those really, really shoddy things, it's either been brought in through the back door or it's a substitution. And, yeah. and they're the worst kind. And look, we're just we'll just finish off with some some tips on 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 what to avoid and and how to pick this up. But there's just one other thing I wanted to touch on first, mm. and actually that's the actual quality of the installation because I think one of the things that the crap solo Facebook page actually looks at is just some things which just look visibly, well, to the known eye, like a lot of rubbish. They've got panels mounted in some peculiar formation, pointing in all sorts of different directions, and some wiring which is decidedly dodgy. Um, from that, let's go through a checklist of some of the things that consumers can protect themselves. Now, you've actually sent me a couple of notes here before. I guess part of it's the research into the panels. It's the research into the inverters. And you say a couple of other things here. Mm. Don't look for generic claims. You might want to explain what that is. Don't shop on price alone. Yep. I think we've discussed why. Never buy from door to door. <laughs> Never accept a handwritten quote. 
<laughs> and make sure that you conform to the CEC and the ASC standards. Yeah, Can you just elaborate a little bit on those? Sure. So it's very easy. And one of the things we've, we've all witnessed in our lifetime, uh, uh, Giles, is that you know the web has opened the world up to us, which is great. But when you look around the web, you will find websites that make claim after claim after claim after claim look very professional. And it's very hard to pick what's genuine and what's not. Um, so you really need to, as a modern day 2017 consumer, when you're out there looking for the uh, Giles Parkinson 2000 super panel, you need to make sure that that's actually what's going to be provided and that there's not a clause somewhere that says it could be substituted or something else like that. So you cannot take web-based claims at face value. You really need to do your homework. That would be my number one uh, um, uh, challenge for people. Yeah. What about door-to-door -door guys? Big no? Yeah, look, I just think door-to-door, -door, personally, I don't like it. Uh, we've seen door-to-door -door basically be shut down across a whole lot of industries. Um, um, uh, generally, the door-to-door -door guys are working on either no wage at all or very, very low wage and extremely high commission. So they are incentivized to sell, come hell or high water, to feed their family. And bless them, I hope they can make a living. But it is a very high-pressure way to sell. And uh, I've never really seen great examples of that. Um, if, if you're looking for solar, go out and look for it. Don't uh, wait for someone to shove it down your throat through the letterbox. That would be uncomfortable. Mm. Yeah, never accept a handwritten quote. What's that about? A handwritten quote? I cannot believe, and I, I give huge credit to, to Facebook and Crap Solar's page, because in the last week alone, there have been evidence put up of handwritten quotes, literally a scrap of paper, a few numbers written out, here's what the solar panels are, here's the price, here's the deal, oh, minus, the, minus the certificates, don't worry about the GST, we'll fudge that later. Who buys a five or a $10,000 20-year investment based on what a guy wrote on a scrap of paper on the back of his truck? That's insane, right? If someone can't give you formal quality estimates of what that system's going to do, how it's going to be supported, what's going to be done to back it up, all those types of things, and demonstrate some professionalism, I wouldn't buy from them, would you? <laughs> no, I wouldn't either. Right. Look, look, Nigel, your voice has just raised an octave, so I think to, to protect... <laughs> you got so excited about that. Look, to... To to um to uh, to protect the listeners from any sort of high squeaky ones, um, we'll probably have to wrap it up here. Look, it's been a fantastic um, first episode. We've got a bunch of things we're going to talk about in the future. We mentioned the DC isolators and the fire risk, and let's make some clarification on the fire risk of solar panels and um, and some of the issues. We're going to be talking about battery storage. I'd imagine we'll probably talk about some standards. We're mm. going to be um, talking about some other aspects of the solar industry. Um, so much, to, so much to talk about, Giles. Absolutely. In, in fact, we're even going to talk about um, electric motorcycles and we might even try and do a podcast on an electric motorcycle. Oh, please. Just between you and me. Please. Just between you and me. Um, look, it's been fantastic. We're going to be doing this podcast every fortnight. Um, if you like it, please tell others. Please leave a review on iTunes or wherever else it is that you found it because that helps it being promoted elsewhere. And we think this is very important. Um, and we're going to be important. Um, you know, the consumers are going in for solar in a big way again, and we've got to make sure we've got it right. And, we've, and that's not just a case for consumers. It's a case for installers. It's also a case for the regulators and the people who design the market. So, Nigel, um, from Solar Analytics, Thank you very much once again. You're welcome, Giles. I can't wait to, uh, to be back in a couple of weeks. And I hope we hear, get some ideas from listeners and installers about the topics that they'd like to hear us discuss as well. 
So please send us an email or drop us a line in the your favourite form. Thanks once again. We'll talk again soon. Bye-bye. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Solar Analytics, designers and suppliers of smart solar monitoring. By navigating the changing energy landscape, Solar Analytics helps increase solar performance and saves money. Visit solaranalytics.com.au, get empowered and make the most of your home energy.